0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's podcast is going to be something special because our guest today is someone who I would consider and who would consider himself to be an unshakable optimist, someone who is looking at a vision of a world that doesn't yet exist. You can tell why I'm excited about the interview, right? Uh, A world in which the vast majority of people are waking up in the morning, inspired, feeling safe anywhere on the planet and feeling fulfilled by what they do at the end of the day. And he started on his quest by asking why people find their why and how they find their why. And he thinks that leaders need to eat last and that together is better. And he's looking at the finite and infinite games that we all play throughout our life You're going to get a lot out of today's episode from that introduction, and the guy, if you haven't guessed yet, is Simon Sinek, a very well-known author, trained ethnographer, and just fascinating guy all around. And I asked him on the show now because this is the time when his work is probably most impactful for all of us. So listening to this episode is going to be great. Simon, welcome. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. I've actually wanted to have you on the show for about three years. And I've sort of saying, you know, Simon's one of those guys who has an unusual brain. You've got a book called The Infinite Game, which is what I want to talk to you about now. But I just figured because so many people are stressed, so many people are kind of caught in this whirlpool of there's so much chaos. I don't even know what to believe anymore. If the world doesn't seem as bright as it did a year ago,
2: what do you say to counter that? Or do you even counter that? Uh, so I think there's a difference between sort of blind positivity and optimism. Um, you know, and I think blind positivity, though instinctively it sounds like a good idea, uh, is not a good idea, which is like, everything's fine, everything's good, you know, don't <laughs> overreact, you know, everything's fine, yeah. which, you know, you look outside the window, clearly that's not the case, you know, it's like it's raining and you're telling me it's a sunny day. Um, Uh, but optimism is very different. You know, optimism is, is is not the denial of the current state. Optimism is the belief that the future is bright. And so, you know, to, to be optimistic says, is, is, is the same as saying, look, we're in a dark tunnel. It's hard. Um, and, um, I don't know how long this tunnel is. I don't know how long we're going to be in this tunnel, but I, I see a light at the end and I know we're going to get there and we just have to keep marching forwards together. And, um, we may even be stronger when we come out of it. Um, and so for me, uh, optimism is the fixation on, on the bright future. I have found that optimism as
1: a form of self-deception is really powerful and useful.
2: Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, the, you know, I think, I think positivity or negativity, optimism or pessimism are both forms of self-deception because the reality is neither is right and neither is wrong, right? It's a journey. Uh, yes. th- neither is a- neither is absolute. There are good times and there are hard times and i think the pessimist sees the hard times and it becomes it becomes sort of like we'll never get out of this and they and they see the negative in in everything uh and i think the optimist again just as self-deceived uh, uh uh chooses to see the the positivity the good news is is the research shows that a positive uh outlook increases your health increases the quality of your friendships and your relationships um and at the end of the day i would rather wake up in the morning Me personally, I'd rather wake up in the morning excited about the future than depressed about it.
1: (laughs) There you go. I've extended it a lot. I actually think it's real that I have a great chance of living to at least 180 and I choose to believe in that future. (laughs) Uh, And there's math behind it and the whole book and all that kind of stuff. I also decided that I'm going to tell myself that reincarnation is real because it might be and if i choose to believe that and i can get my body to believe it i'll be less fearful in my
2: daily t- <laughs> even if i'm totally wrong it doesn't matter it's just a mindset that frees me exactly i mean i'll give you a funny example of 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 mindset um and perception of the world so i a friend of mine we work out over facetime together um you know we just we both set up our our ipads and just we do the same workout together that's, that's cool do. and we were doing a particularly difficult workout one day and in, and in the middle of it i said hey um I've got some good news and some bad news. And she said, well, what's the bad news? I said, well, the bad news is we're only halfway done. She says, well, what's the good news is then? I said, well, the good news is we're already halfway done. <laughs> right. And literally it is the exact same circumstance, but depending on the perspective, one is really depressing and will make it a, a hard to finish. And the other one's is really exciting and everything feels downhill. So, I mean, that is, that to me is the best example of, of, of how a mindset can affect, can affect your day.
1: So how would one go about in the middle of a pandemic where you haven't seen friends and loved ones in a while? It, it seems like the the bar is higher to wake up and say, yeah, the future is really brighter. Is there a specific tip or trick that you use that lets you just wake up going,
2: wow, there's actually a volcano outside today. Like, <laughs> how am I going to get through that one? Well, when, the, when this whole thing began and, you know, I, to some degree, I think we've, we've normalized you know, even, even if it's still weird and still difficult, you know, for, for people who are still choosing to, to wipe down their groceries, (laughs) it's, it's, it's not a panic situation anymore. Now it's a routine, right? Like I've done it a million times. I know what to do. I know how to do it. And I got my routine. Like, you know, you open your Amazon box and you know, you, you have your routine like, and, but at the beginning where everything felt like a panic situation, like touching anything, being anywhere near anything, you know, it's like, you know, if, if death was the next, was the next occurrence, like that's how uh, so many of us felt. Um, I, the thing that helped me was I thought about my grandmother who lived through the blitz, my grandmother who lived through the blitz and the, the, the Nazi bombing of, 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 of London. And, um, and you know, the blitz went on for, uh, I can't remember the exact moment. It has like 11 weeks or something ridiculous, you know? Um, and 60% of all of the homes in London were destroyed. And so, you know, when we're at home doing our own thing, we are completely safe. And can you imagine actually never feeling safe ever? Like at any moment, your house could blow up, you know, Um. and you just sit there hoping it doesn't. And my grandmother lived through this and she went to work every day. And like there was a building there yesterday that's not there today. And I just thought if she can get through that, we can get through this. You know, and and that really, really helped me at the beginning. It really helped me at the beginning. That 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 the 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 mantra was this too will end. You know, it, it may be like I said, it goes back to that dark tunnel, which is I don't know how long it's going to last, but this too will end. This is this is a difficult and temporary uh, uh, part of the journey.
1: And it's extremely temporary because uh, things won't continue the way they are uh, for more than a year or two. And you can look at the history of every pandemic in the past, and generally. Things go back to normal after a little while. A little while historically, but at the time it sucked. And, and I hear all these comments, people saying, oh, it's a war. Like, Wait a minute. Watch a watch a, a documentary about World War I troops and what they went through. That's a war. And, and you look at what we're doing. You know what? My Amazon Prime took three days, not one. But I can get all the food I need delivered to my door during a pandemic. Like, this is the most luxury-laden pandemic in all of human history. And it still yeah, it's, a,
2: it's <laughs> for 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 some people, it's a bougie pandemic. Um, but for, for, for too many people, uh, the stress is, is, is extreme, you know, lost income, um, and, and, and whether the, the, whether the, the food can be delivered, uh, by Amazon or not, the question is, do I have the money to buy the food? That that is a different issue. The fact that it's possible to do that is what I'm talking about. Um, Yeah, no, 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 for sure. And, and I, I think I, I, it's, uh, it sucks. Is I think what it what it what it nets it,
1: out at. It does suck, and that's why I wanted to have you on now because I've been getting a lot of questions from people um, who are saying, "All right, exactly what you said. Well, uh, yeah, I know that basic services are running, which they oftentimes wouldn't in a time like this, which is great. But to avail myself of them, I kind of need a new job. Yeah, right. You know, how do I how do I pick my next step? What's my professional direction be? And how do I reinvent myself? Because I was a server at a restaurant and it looks like half of restaurants won't exist at the end of this because of our amazing government decisions. Yeah. So how would you talk to someone who, uh, like me, I mean, I've worked at Baskin-Robbins scooping ice cream. I mean, if that was my job when this thing hit, I don't know what I would do either. How do you tell someone to reinvent themselves? Because you're a pro at that.
2: So I I think crisis is the great revealer, right? Um, in an instant, we discovered which companies had strong cultures and which company had weak cultures, um, because you could see how the companies, pe- the people came together or they they fractured and, and it was every man for themselves. Um, uh, and um, and I think it also revealed a lot about bloating in a lot of industries, if I'm honest. yeah, You know, um, there are, it's kind of like insurance, you know, which is like nobody expects their house to burn down, but we all have insurance just in case it does you know like we don't want to lose everything but we have we we have a backup plan just in case of the most horrible thing happening and i think so if you look at so for example i was talking to an actor friend of mine and you know there I, I i live in new york city and and there are a lot of actors uh and um uh and you start to you start to look at them and so many of them have never had a real acting job in 4 years and there's this weird sense of like pride that goes with being this starving artist. You know, I'm a I'm a server and I'm an actor and that's my life and you're like, "Well, do you have any other skills because what happens if this acting thing doesn't work?" Like, "No, no, no, this is my dream." And it's like if you said my dream is to be an accountant, but I've never had an accounting job in 4 years. You'd be like, "Uh, I think maybe another skill set? You know, I think maybe this is not going to work out." Yeah. You know, and so this except it, it, and so for in some places I think having a, another skill set is, is a, is a really important thing. We are all dynamic human beings. We have more than one ability. Um, And I think to know what your strengths are so that not that you're, you're necessarily doing two things simultaneously, but if the dream doesn't come alive or if a pandemic hits, um, you're, you're at the point where you're, you're kind of like, okay, I can, I can make this, I can make this pivot. Um, We, we pivoted our business and, you know where we pivoted to was something I've been thinking about for a long time, but never pulled the trigger. And so now we had this amazing opportunity because we couldn't do the old thing anymore. And so some of the thinking had already happened. It's worth it's worth also bringing up the the finite and infinite mindset, as Dr. James Carse um, explains. He's the he was the originator of the of the theory of finite and infinite games. Um, and, and just for those who don't know, I'll give the quick definition. Um, uh, uh, he, he, he shared that um, a finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and an agreed upon objective. So football, baseball, right? right? There's always a beginning, middle, and end. And if there's a winner, there has to be a loser. Then you have infinite games. Infinite games are defined as known and unknown players, which means a new player can join at any time. The rules are changeable, which means you can play however you want. And the objective is to perpetuate the game, to stay in the game as long as possible. Right. Turns out we're players in infinite games every day of our lives, whether we know it or not. Um, there's no such thing as being number one in your marriage, right? Like you can be number two, but you can't be number one, right? Uh, there's no such thing as winning education. No one's declared the winner of careers. There's no thing, there's no no one's, no, no nation becomes the winner of global politics. And there's definitely no such thing as winning in business. There's no, because there's no finish line, there's no agreed upon objectives. You know, it just doesn't exist. And the problem is so many people operate with a finite mindset. When you listen to so many leaders, they talk about being number one, being the best and beating their competition. Based on what? Um, and and so one of the aspects of a finite mindset versus an infinite mindset is, uh, you know, a finite mindset clearly wants to win, except what happens if the game has no finish line. And if you play to win in a game that has no finish line, you destroy trust, cooperation, and innovation. Um, and one of the characteristics of a, of a finite mindset is, is they are afraid of surprises and afraid of uncertainty. And that's why they look to exert excessive amounts of control. That's why timeframes are very short. Because you can control the numbers for the quarter, maybe even the year, but you cannot control them for five and ten years. You just can't. And so we like to keep short time frames so we can exert control. Um, also, all the thinking happens in the past. So you see this with athletes, right? They right. practice, 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 so that there are no surprises. Or in in or 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 military personnel, like they train and train and train and train and train and train, so that they're prepared for any eventuality, no surprises. Um, and you hear them use this language, like oh, I didn't have to think, I just relied on my training. Or I didn't have to think it was in my muscle memory. Because at the point of, of something happening, again, all the thinking has been done in the past. So in those circumstances, something completely new, completely different, can completely throw off the system because there's been no thinking for this. An infinite mindset is the complete opposite. An infinite mindset embraces surprise and believes that there is opportunity in uncertainty. Um, And so they do not look to exert control. Instead, they look to sort of open up their minds and say, Ooh, what, what could we do? And so you see, you saw this happen in the pandemic, both for individuals and for organizations where, um, uh, when, when this uncertain thing happened, by the way, just as a quick aside, you know i love when people keep saying during these uncertain times it drives me nuts. all times are uncertain I know. there's never been a time that was certain ever <laughs> it's just that something happened that you didn't expect that reminded you that time is uncertain it's like these times were exactly as uncertain as they were every other time in the in history anyway yes. but i digress <laughs> um uh uh and so when the pandemic showed up uh and surprised everybody um the people who, who have the finite mindset, the organizations that maintain a finite mindset, panic was the first reaction. And they hunkered down and it became about them. "What are we going to do? What am I going to do? How are we going to make money? How are we going to survive?" was the reaction. And those organizations have really struggled to pivot. The ones that have had a better time pivoting are the ones that seem to have more of an infinite mindset, which is, well, this is unexpected. Right. What could we do with this? Like, let's pretend, even though we have a company, let's pretend that we're a startup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're starting our business right now for the first time. What would we do and how would we bring it to life? Now, of course, for some industries, this is very difficult. An airline. Being a startup airline in this, in this world, you probably wouldn't start up an airline. I get it. I get <laughs> it. Uh, uh, but for a lot of businesses, um, it really helped because they pretended that they were startups and had that startup mentality. It was entrepreneurial. Once again, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of excitement, a lot of teamwork, just like all startups. Um, one of my favorite examples of a pivot was a, was a pizza place in Chicago called Demos pizza that they made 70% of their revenues from selling slices. So clearly they weren't prepared for delivery and all of that stuff. When, when, when the pandemic hit and their business dried up just as as, as, very, very quickly. Um, but what was so clever is they looked at their resources and didn't view them based on their industry, they looked at them based on their capabilities. So for example, they had a pizza oven, and to anyone else they'd say, "Well, a pizza oven is for making pizzas." And they said, "No, a pizza oven can burn much hotter than a regular oven. So what can you do with a really hot burning oven?" And turns out you can bend industrial grade plastics at that temperature. Wow. And so what they started to buy was sheets of industrial grade plastic, and they started to make face shields, PPP <laughs> that they sold to hospitals. Wow. With a free slice. I love it. <laughs> well, I don't even know if they did the pizza, but they delivered the, they delivered the, the, the face shields and pizza boxes. The, the, and I felt that was genius, which is if we were starting a business right now and we have these resources, what could we do with these resources based on the market demands? And at the end of this, they may go back to selling pizzas or they may have two businesses, um, which right. I just think is really clever. But that, it's that kind of mindset, which I, which I so admire. I've always had that hacker
1: mindset. That's why I was a computer hacker. Like, Oh, I'm not supposed to get into that. Let me see if I can figure out how it's not always a good mindset to have. Uh, And it seems like in most of the tech companies where I've worked, there's oftentimes a very small number of people who have that mindset. And sometimes they're in executive management. Sometimes they're not, but they're usually kind of identified as like that's like the idea guy. Uh, Right. And he may not shower regularly, but you should go talk to him because he'll think of something (laughs) weird. Um, is it your belief that everyone has that in them or is this an organizational thing or is that you need to find someone whose brain is weird, who's really good at thinking that way?
2: Yeah, this is why we have teams because no one can do everything. Yes. Of course not. And This is why this is why teams exist, because if I if I if I knew how to do everything, I wouldn't need you. you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, and so when when we pivoted, one of the things we did and I got this uh, idea from my friend Jen Waldman, which is. um I I showed up to the team and said, okay, here's the deal. I want 15 ideas. First of all, I gave the vision. I said, here's here's where we're going. Here's what I imagine. Here's what I want to pivot to. But beyond that, I don't really know. So what I want from everybody is 15 ideas each within 48 hours. And if if people wanted to work in teams, I was fine with that. And so they're like, 48 hours. I'm like, yep, 48 hours. And like 15, why 15? And and the reason is because if I asked you for three or four ideas, you're going to give me the same three or four ideas that I already came up with. Yes. we're dealing with the good ideas are at 9, 10, and 11, you know? So everybody had to bring 15 ideas to the table. Um, and before we presented our ideas, I gave a little preamble and I said, okay, listen, I'm, f- this is, this is not about competition. This is about contribution. I'm fully aware that there are some people on this team who are going to have six amazing ideas and some people on this team, they're going to have zero, right? And I'm okay with that. I'm not keeping score. It's not a competition because what I also recognize is that the people who are having the ideas probably are not the best people to execute on those ideas. (laughs) Very important point. (laughs) Right? Where the people who didn't have any good ideas are probably really good at executing ideas. They're probably better at process than anybody who came up with the ideas. And so if anything, the thing that this will reveal is where our strengths are and how we're going to work together. And so morale was really high, even if one person had a lot of ideas and one person had none. And I, I didn't let anybody give the whole list. I did two or three, then two or three, then two or three. And what ended up happening was we all kept building upon each other's ideas. And so by the end, we had a set of ideas that no one could claim because they were now an amalgamation of all the contributions. And we took them from the idea people and we went to the, the operations people and said, make this. Nice. And we, we made a very simple thing. We, we bucketed the ideas into three categories, green, yellow and red. Green was an idea that we could execute this week. Yellow was an idea that would require a couple of weeks, and red, no matter how good the idea, was something that was just either too time or too resource heavy. Yeah. And so we just put it on a on a backburn and said, maybe one day we'll get to that. And then we just said, okay, here are the green ideas. We need them done this week, and they did. How big and of a uh, team are we
1: talking about to do this?
2: This was um, with you know you know with combination of sort of everybody involved, freelancers and everybody. It was probably about uh, 12 people, 15 people. Okay. So a good sized
1: team. It's a good size team. Yeah. That's a fantastic idea. And if you're listening to the show, you can actually do that right now if you still don't have direction with what's happening. And now tell me about the outcome. So you had a really heavy travel and speaking schedule. I know cause I live the same life. I'm on stages. <laughs> yeah. I was on stages a lot. Um, I, you know, I write books. I travel. I'm also that CEO kind of thing in my other life. Um, uh, but right. my life changed substantially and actually income changes too, because you get paid to speak and you can talk about your books and you're, you're generating a wave behind your ideas when you go to do that. Right. It's about the content. So what changed after this in your life now that you're not traveling?
2: Right. So most of our income for our organization was based on in-person speaking workshops, things like that. And we have a team of, of, of folks folks who, who do those things. And, um, and of course that dried up immediately. Um, and so, you know, what we did seemed to match a pattern that I saw other organizations that were doing that also successfully pivoted, which is the ones who are struggling to pivot, um, they double down on their old business model, right? And and basically said, okay, we do keynotes. How are we going to do keynotes online, right? Um, and, and that's a hard thing to sell. And you saw this not just in this industry, but you saw... a you know we're seeing this in education now right we're seeing teachers who are trying to teach the same class that they taught in front of 30 yeah. kids looking at a zoom call of 30 kids and like taking attendance the same way they used to take yeah, attendance Bueller, like, please everybody be, you know <laughs> everybody be work. quiet so i can take and it's like I, you can't just do what you used to do but now do it online it, it doesn't work that way because online is a different animal it's a different it's a different environment and so the companies that were more successfully pivoting instead of putting themselves at the center of the equation like what are we going to do how are we going to survive how are we going to make more money they said okay we've got something valuable um how are we going to get it to people like wh- how it was a giving mentality like there are people who who want what we have how are we going to help them get it and so we 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 changed the way in which we offered what we do in a couple of different directions um we changed, uh, we did, we we set up a whole online learning platform, which of course a lot of companies did. But for us, the in-person thing was really important. It's what I preach. And so we do live classes. There's an instructor, it is live, you come in, it is a scheduled time. And we, we recognize that, you know, uh, that sometimes that's inconvenient. And from a business model, you know, we're probably eventually going to have to do recorded stuff. But it was really important for us to do live online classes. Turns out that's also an easier pivot. Because, I don't have to take the time to record it. I, here it is, you know? So we do live online classes and we reached out to a whole bunch of friends and said, we love your work. Do you want to teach a class with us on our platform? And we have like a real like online learning platform now, which I'm really proud of. Um, and then for my stuff, uh, um, uh, I started listening to what people needed. And at the beginning, nobody wanted a fricking keynote. Yeah. At the beginning, people were in full on panic mode And they just wanted some assurance, uh, some optimism, and some perspective. And so we started offering 10 minutes. So I would come on at the beginning of someone's meeting for five or 10 minutes to be like, all right, guys, I'm going to help you get the right mindset. Here's what I need you to focus on. You know, here's some some thoughts. Here's how you can redirect. Here's how you can shift. And I sort of helped set up their meetings. And I did a bunch of those at the beginning of, of the pandemic. Smart. Yeah, because because nobody wants an hour long rah rah. You can do it. Yes, you can. Like nobody wants that. Um, not over Skype. And yeah, definitely not over over <laughs> over, over, or over Skype or whatever. Yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, you know, we just we we the, and it wasn't like some like it's not like we have a crystal ball or like we're we're like we had some like proprietary customer research. We basically looked at ourselves and said, what do we need? Because if we need something, odds are somebody else needs it. Yeah. Well, the last thing we need is somebody to come and lecture us. <laughs> but what we would love is someone to help like push us or help us redirect or you know, because that's what we were doing anyway. We we're calling each other up. You were doing the same thing. We oh, all yeah. called our friends and said, Hey, what are you doing? And you'd have a 20-minute conversation. You'd be like, This is fantastic. Thank you. And sometimes you just needed to hear what someone else was doing to to, to get you optimistic about what you could do. And so if that's what we were doing, and that's what we wanted then the odds are pretty high that somebody else needs or wants the same thing. So we made that available. Um, and, uh, I, 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 you know, again, um, it's, it's a, it's a listening versus a talking. It's a, it's a giving versus a taking mentality. What if there was a way to level up your
1: energy, get rid of stress and take more control of your body. Welcome to quantum upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk free for up to a hundred days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15 Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. It seems to fly in the face of, of what every startup disruptive technology book would tell you. You know, talk to your customers, do what they want. If you ask a farmer what they want, they want you know a bigger horse. They don't want a tractor uh, to, that's the oldest analogy forever. So you didn't go out and do customer centric design processes and all that. You basically said, look, if I'm suffering and I need to do this, I'm going to make it. And I know there'll be some other people like me.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, let's, let's look at, you know, big companies don't have big ideas. (laughs) Small companies have big ideas and then big companies buy them, you know, you know, Uh, it's right. That's what happens. And the and that, it makes you scratch your head to say, but I don't understand. I thought that big ideas happen when you have the best talent, all the resources, all no. the customer data. Uh, and that's where big, and that's what big companies do. Um, but that's not true. Yeah. Um, there's no hunger. You need, there's no hunger. You know, small companies have a vision that is bigger than the resources they have to accomplish it. So creativity yeah. is your, is your, is the only thing you have because you don't have money. And I think a big companies could be more innovative if their visions were bigger than the resources they had to accomplish it. But they have a lot of money, so they, they tend to have small visions. Wow. And, and the other thing is, the other thing is, the way most companies start. You know, most tr- truly valuable companies that make something of themselves, none of them start because you read an article in a business magazine. You're like, ooh, that's a that's a good business opportunity. I'm going to start that company. That's that's not how businesses start. Businesses start because someone or a group of people suffer a problem or somebody that they know suffers a problem or and they came up with an innovative solution for themselves or for the people they love. And that solution turns out is valuable to other people and that became the company. You know, Airbnb was started because a bunch of designers went to a design conference and there were no more hotels. so They all stayed at a friend's house together and they had such a great time. And the friend charged them money to stay there because heck man, we're all broke. Uh-huh. Um, and they slept on air mattresses and they said wouldn't it be funny if we started an airbed and breakfast airbnb It seemed right? to work right and and like that's how almost every great business starts i mean yeah. yours is the same and mine is the same which is <laughs> we weren't we weren't trying to start businesses we were trying yeah. to solve a problem for ourselves it, and we built the business around that solution it, it's
1: ridiculous and i'm so happy you're saying that uh, i hear a lot of entrepreneurs going down the wrong path there and sure you should talk to your customers and all that but I will tell you, Bulletproof created three of the five categories it's in. And they're all multiple $100 million categories. They didn't exist. And it's because I couldn't buy it. And I wanted it. <laughs> and so there's multiple players in each one. That's all good. Uh, but it, it comes from ignoring the customer at first and meeting a pressing need that people don't know they have. And so I, I, I love it that you're sharing this because it's it's the opposite of what every big company does. And they have these big meetings about innovation. How do we become more innovative? And sometimes it's, well, it make something that well, you can't buy.
2: And, and and it really is very ironic, right? So like a company wants to be authentic. And so what they do is they conduct customer research so that they can be, which is the exact same as you and me going to our friends and saying, hey, listen, I really, I really want to be authentic in my friendship with you. So could you please tell me how you want me to dress and how you want <laughs> me to speak to you so that you'll like me more? And your friend is going to be like, what? You'd be like, no, no, I really want to, I want to show up for you, so tell me how you want me to dress and how you want me to speak to you so that you'll like me more. And your friend's going to be like, I just want you to be yourself. So why, why would companies think that by asking people who they should be that people would then perceive them as authentic? The, the logic is exactly the same. You, and this is why companies with vision stand out. This is why the companies we quote-unquote love stand out. It's because they aren't asking the customer who we should be. They're being themselves and they attract the customers who are attracted to that and they repel the customers who are repelled by that. And that's, if you, if you have a brand that people love and that some people love and some people hate, yeah. the odds are you stand for something. Because you if you go. stand for something, some people are going to disagree. Um, um, but if you are just kind of like stand for nothing and you, then that basically makes you a commodity. I buy you when I need it and when it's cheap enough, or if it's convenient, but I don't really care. You know, I don't have love. I may like it, right. but I don't love it.
1: It it's really funny the the love thing from that comes out of authenticity. It's like in high school. Hey, how do I be one of the cool kids? Look, like if you ask, you're not right. And, it, and it, it's a state
2: of being that cannot be faked, and can, that's what authenticity means. It means I say and do the things I actually believe, and 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 like your your i mean what you started with with bulletproof is a spectacular example you know there are people who love coffee but they they may like one coffee over another but they're not loyal they don't love they're not they're not they may love a taste but they don't love a company they just may and if something comes along like i have a friend who's a diehard coffee fanatic and i'd be like dude you got to try this one he'd be like sure right right where P- bulletproof it's a freaking religion for some people it's it's yeah. not about it's no longer the taste. Like there are other coffees that you may actually like the taste better, but it's not about the coffee. It's about the belief set. Yeah. It's about the identity. It's who I am. When, when you wear a bulletproof t-shirt, for example, as you are, it says something about who you are, not just what, what taste you like. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, that is uh, about as good as it can ever get.
1: It, it's, it's something that had to be said. And there's a bunch of people listening who are, I'm going to call them the young internet marketing crowd. And uh, I'm going to add on top of what you're saying. If you're going to build an authentic helping brand by taking another person's idea that you saw online or even worse, copying their content, changing a few words and calling it yours. Simon, has anyone ever done that with your work? Uh,
2: Yes. Yes, they have. (laughs) How does that make you feel as a creator? Uh, You know, um, I I am old fashioned. Uh, I believe in honor and I believe in people who act honorably and I'm upset by people who act dishonorably. And so, uh, you know, if somebody is using my work and they, they, they say this was inspired by Simon's work, that's cool. I am very flattered yeah. by that. And I love that they've actually maybe even built upon my work and made my work even better. Yeah. Um, I think that's honorable and I don't mean about little details. They could steal a little quote here. Yeah, and I don't care about that. I'm talking about like, l- I'm going to give Simon's speech you know oh god yeah uh, those guys. no no and 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 there there have been a couple people who literally gave my speech like like memorized yeah. and never said i'm inspired by simon this is what he says right um which i'm totally fine with and so for me it's not about whether they take the ideas or not take the ideas i want the ideas to spread i yes. want people to take the ideas it's just that act honorably uh you know it's it's kind of like it's kind of like it's it's kind of like footnoting. You know, the yeah. difference between plagiarism and not plagiarism is in the back of the book. There's a tiny little reference that says, "Oh, by the way, I took that from another book." Yeah. That's fine. It, footnotes and endnotes are legitimate. You can take ideas from anywhere you want. Yeah. You just have to and like it it doesn't ruin the the reading of it. You don't have to say, "I took this idea from this." As long as you somewhere, yeah, you give the credit, you, you've just produced a fantastic work uh, a fantastic work. But the minute you leave that end note out, that's actually plagiarism. Yeah. It's actually a crime.
1: <laughs> and making it about honor is, is such a fantastic concept because that's what it is. It's about honor and integrity. That's and, uh, all it is. Th- the reason I'm asking that is we're talking about authenticity. And so if people yeah. say, I want to build an authentic brand, I'm going to copy that other thing out there usually yeah. then go compete with it, which means say bad things about it. Right. Uh, and you're like, that's unnecessary. Everyone knows that that's happening. And so I, I, I'm going to encourage people listening. If you want to start a business, do something that hasn't been done that way before and you'll probably
2: succeed. Or if you want to be a me too brand, which is fine. Yeah. Um, then simply say that. Right. Um, Apple didn't invent the multi gigabyte MP3 player. Yeah. They didn't invent the iPod. Right. Those creative labs. Right. Creative labs out of Singapore. Exactly. And but what Apple did is they said, we didn't invent it, we just did it better.
1: Yeah, that's right? cool.
2: And so you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to say, look, here's the guy who came up with the idea and we think it's genius, but here's the thing, they weren't smart enough and so we took what they invented and we made it even better.
1: Yes, you know? that's
2: evolution. We love that. And that's evolution. And by the way, that is proprietary. That is authentic. To and I mean, you look at almost in the, especially in the early days, the Japanese barely invented any products. They just took all the products that existed and made them even better. And it drove their economy. Then they started inventing, you know, they started inventing the Walkman and things like that. But, but even now, if, if, uh, if you've ever gone to Tokyo, if you've ever gone to Japan, oh, yeah.
1: love you Japan.
2: know, they do, they have coffee shops that are better than any coffee shop I've ever been to in Italy. Best
1: coffee in the you world know, goes to Japan. Best coffee in the world. Yeah.
2: Have you tried their pizza? It's better than pizza I've had in, it, 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 anywhere in the it's world. Like Mission critical you know?
1: Pizza, everything there.
2: Yeah, like I mean, and like the Japanese are so obsessed with making things good. They don't actually care if they invented it or not. <laughs> they take they take something and they make it the best it can possibly yeah. be. And they study how to make coffee and they study how to make pizza, even though they didn't invent it. And it's and I love that. They don't claim ownership over the origination they claim ownership over the quality
1: over the perfection and the over the perfection and
2: that by yeah. the way, is absolutely proprietary because not everybody can invent and not everybody's a visionary, but you can have a very 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 successful even a leader brand um if if you were the if you were the Johnny come lately that's totally totally legit Love in fact, this. I don't think apple I don't think Apple invented much of the stuff that it does mostly came from xerox park
1: or uh microsoft yes yeah, yeah i mean they <laughs> so microsoft I mean, got most of it from xerox it's okay it's, building it's i mean on they it all it's all it a mishmash.
2: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> anyway, anyway but we digress we do well, let's talk some about something that is a top of mind for people right now and it's trust because if you're an old school manager sitting in your glass office looking out over your armies of cubicle dwellers which isn't really life anyway you can see that they're doing their work and people already had trust issues with their teams before the pandemic because people play politics because people don't do what they say they're going to do and all those things. And you've done a lot of work, particularly in your your most recent book, around trusting teams. How do do we do that? How do we know we can trust our colleagues who are only at home with their cats?
2: (laughs) Um, So one of the things, I have to have another uh, uh, sort of aside. You know, one of the things that I think is funny is how many companies are saying, we you know we've pivoted to an online uh, company and turns out we're really good at it so it makes us wonder if we should ever go back to the office or not yeah. you know everything's working fine it's like that's because all the relationships already exist like good luck exactly. making new hire and building trust with that new employee like completely over the internet like good luck with that like do you have any idea how difficult that is and i mean we've had a we've had a distributed online company for about 10 years and i can tell you from personal experience that building trust over the internet is much more difficult yeah. Than doing it in real life, um, uh, because because building trust inside a company is no different than making friends, yeah. you know, which is or, or 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 falling in love, you know, like it's not the big things. We don't build trust in the meeting. It's not the meeting that builds trust. It's walking into the meeting. It's walking out of the meeting. It's sitting waiting for the meeting to start and be like, "Hey, Julie, I heard your dad was uh, sick. How's he doing? Yeah. Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, he's doing much better. Thank you very much." It's saying, "Hey, you want to get lunch?" It's bumping to somebody in the hallway and be like, "Oh, I meant to tell you something, right?" That's where trust is built. It's it's what Isaac Stern said. Isaac Stern said, "Music is what happens between the notes." Right. You know, trust trust is built between the meetings, um, and so and so online. That's very you you have to you actually have to schedule those between times that have nothing to do with work, which is much more difficult.
1: I I did something weird with Bulletproof. I've lived on an island the whole time that I've, since I founded the company on Vancouver Island, and I've had maybe one employee here. Uh, The rest of the team has been distributed in the very beginning and then mostly in Seattle and LA. So maybe two, three years into the company, I said, you know what, we should all meet each other. So since I had to fly everyone somewhere anyway, I just flew everyone to Hawaii. And then we spent a week in Maui uh, doing, you know, stuff, whatever, you know, strategic planning, yeah. whatever, just building teams. And then we went back and it really helped because that FaceTime, having of meals course. together and all that, I think we might see some companies say, I don't need a headquarters, but we're just all going to get together every now and then and you swap right. microbes um, because they're probably the basis of trust anyway.
0: And, yeah. then, uh, and, uh, it's and all, then it's, all, it's, and it's yeah,
2: no, I'm I, sorry to interrupt. Um, you're right. I mean, even even distributed online teams, we do the same. We still have to meet Bring now and then. I, I was thinking, and, or, or, or have business trips. Like one group will go to meet another group to, yeah. work, to work for a week. You know, and, and that's kind of the role of conferences. Hey, you know, these four people in the company are going to
1: go to this conference, and they're going to get time together. And so, the death of the conference industry replaced by virtual conferences doesn't do that. So, I think we will have that travel, and that's why travel will come back because. Even if you can survive or thrive, like we did for many years without a headquarters, you still have to get the FaceTime to do the internet. Uh, And so I wanted to validate that with you. But okay, let's say for the next year, there's just not going to be very much travel. Is there something people can do who are listening in order to be more trustworthy or to feel more trust for people who probably deserve it? And maybe less trust for those who
2: don't. Yeah, so um, the answer is yes. As I said before, it requires more work you okay, know what's the um, work so for, so for example yeah so for example um, usually the zoom calls that we're having the meetings we're having are their you know their update meetings or their strategic meetings or their tactical meetings or their product update meetings and like it's all meeting meeting meetings work 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 and we need to allow for something that's not work that's just about that's just about us so um, we recommend a weekly huddle preferably a monday morning but it doesn't matter um, um, uh, uh and uh uh and it should be not about work. It should not be about work. It's like what we do is um everybody checks in, we say what's on your heart and what's in your mind. We say people say what they did over the weekend, you discover that people have families, you discover their stresses, people say, you know, it's a really rough weekend, my my eight year old's struggling with the pandemic, and and uh somebody else has oh mine too, and you're finding common ground that have nothing to do with work. You know, in other words, we're starting to see each other as human, and then we usually answer either a fun question or a or, or a or a profound question, you know, and we just go around the room. Everybody has two minutes. We spend an hour on the phone, on the Zoom, and then we're done. And we're just checking in, um, plus all the humanity of just checking in with people as a human being. Like if you see somebody had a hard time on one of the meeting calls, or even on they they talked about how they had a hard weekend on the on the huddle, for example. Somebody will pick up the phone and call them and be like, hey, how are you doing? You okay? And what I think was so funny is, you know, somebody asked me recently, you know, how has leadership changed during these times? And the answer is it hasn't. If anything, the tenets of good leadership just, we just just became more important. So whether somebody was an effective or ineffective leader prior to the pandemic, they followed their human instincts. They picked up the phone and they checked in on their team say, hey, listen, how are you? I just want to make sure you're okay. This is a crazy time well, that's called good leadership. We don't need a global pandemic for you to do that. You should be doing that all the time. And so, and so all of those little things, like think of people as human beings, check in on them. If somebody's performance declines, don't assume that they're an idiot. Don't assume that they're, that they're irresponsible.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, assume that, that something's happening in their home life that maybe they're struggling with, because this is a really, really hard time and stress is unbelievably high. It's stress on marriages, stress on families, stress on kids, stress on people who are single. Um, and, and, and remember, leadership doesn't come with rank. You don't have to be the person with the title to, to operate like the leader. Leadership is the responsibility to take care of those around us. So anybody can pick up the phone and say, are you okay, including checking on your boss? Hey, boss, yeah. you were really hard on us in the meeting today. Are you okay? I'm worried
1: about you. You know what? That piece of advice right there is one of the most valuable career builders you will ever hear. In fact, that's probably one of the top 10 things that have been on my show. The, oh, the one nice. time Thank in you. my twenties I did that, uh, my boss was losing. I said, "Hey, can we get a cup of coffee?" And and just her whole demeanor changed, and, and you could tell she's like, "Oh my God, someone's watching out for me." Because especially yeah. with younger teams, there it's all about you know boss, boss, boss. So yeah, that just taking care of your boss and you know, just letting them know you have their their back will grow your career, and it's actually yeah. an act of service and it's an act of kindness. On, so I'm happy you said that, and I've never thought of it that way. So you called out something special there. Thank you. Now you started a new podcast. It's very new called a bit of optimism. Yes. How do
2: you like being a podcast host? <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've been thinking about doing a podcast for ages, but I, I, I wanted it to be mine. I wanted it to be yeah. uniquely me, you know, and we actually came up with a great concept, which the pandemic made it impossible to do. Of course. And so, um, I, 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 I really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, you know, uh, There are wonderful conversations about things that I... And I'm showing up as a student in all of those conversations. You know? um, I'm not a host. I'm not an interviewer. I'm a student. And the people who I bring on, some you've heard of and some you've never heard of. Um, And that that wasn't interesting to me. Like, it wasn't interesting to me to take the same list. I mean, unfortunately, you know this, which is, you know, there's a circuit and it's the same... Fifteen people doing all the podcasts, you know. Yeah. Um. And like, and those are good and valuable. Don't get me wrong. But somebody else was already doing a better job of that. Right. I couldn't. I couldn't do it better than what was already being done. Um. And you know, the the way we approached it was, I, I I love some of the conversations I get to have and some of the people I get to meet over the course of this my career, and I always feel selfish that that I'm having these conversations in private. And so the way we put yeah. this together was that I want to have a conversation with somebody as if I'm sitting in a restaurant and the table next to me is like leaning in and eavesdropping yes. on my conversation. Uh, and so that's what we're doing. And I'm, I'm actually really, really enjoying it. I have found that there's three ways that
1: I learn the best. And the first one is teaching. When I was a teacher at the University of California, man, I had to grind that content into my brain so I could teach it flexibly and nimbly, and you know, get a standing ovation at the end of the semester, which happened <laughs> a few times, but not always. Okay, <laughs> like I worked, uh, and I sucked at the beginning, right? So teaching, it, it's always in there. You yeah. write a book; it's thousands and thousands of hours of thinking and massaging and crunching and taking out everything that's not essential, and you and you grok it, and you know it. But yeah. the third way of learning is you talk to the masters who already did that and can communicate well. And I, podcasting became addictive for me <laughs> in a good way uh, because I get to talk to guys like you, like this conversation was really fun and I would have had it over dinner. Right. And yeah. if your mindset's like that, and I do hear that on a bit of optimism on, on your show, thank you. Uh, um, where you're like, Hey, what, what, what can I learn here? And just think maybe other people want what I want. And it, so I like your show. I think you're, you're doing great. And thank you. Well, you, you have some time on stages and like, you know, how to, interact with people and it shows but seriously just as from someone who's done it for a little bit longer uh, i think you're you're onto something good and your mindset that you just explained anyone who wants to start a show anyone who just wants to have a good dinner conversation that's the mindset like how do i learn here and so thank you for just somehow knowing to do that the right
2: way because a lot of podcasts thank you
1: everybody look at me that's not what it's about
2: so right it's like i'm sure you get this as well Uh, people come to me and say hey i want to be a public speaker how do i get started i'm like Uh, Well, What do you want to talk about? They're like, well, I don't know yet. I'm like, you've got it backwards. You know, it's like, I never wanted to be a public speaker, but I had a thing that I never stopped talking about. Yeah. You know, every conversation, people like, what are you up to? I started pulling out napkins and drawing circles. Uh, (laughs) And they kept saying, and then what happened was they said to me, can you come and tell, talk to my team about this? And I went, sure, I guess. Right. And turns out I became a speaker. Um, but I, I think it's funny when somebody says, I want to be a speaker, but you don't you don't know what you want to speak about. It's yeah. the opposite. You, you, you have to have something that you believe in that you love that other people want to hear. And speaking is just one of the many ways in which you can share it.
1: What I think they're saying is I want attention. And that is not a good motivation for doing things. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, Simon, we are coming up on the end of your available window here uh, for the show. Thank you for your time. Your new podcast is called a bit of optimism and That's people it. can find yep. it anywhere podcasts are distributed. How's that anywhere for, they
2: like to uh, listen to podcasts? Yep. Yep.
1: And, uh, your most recent book, which is totally worth reading, especially right now during the pandemic is the infinite game. And your website is Simon Sinek S I N E K.com. Anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with a little bit of extra wisdom?
2: Uh, just, you know, this is this is an amazing opportunity. Um, as I said before, all the tenets of good leadership um, are more important now than ever. Um, so, so think of others, uh, you know, uh, uh, and look after others, um, uh, especially the people you know. So, take care of yourself. Take care of each other's is, is really what it's all about.
1: Um, beautiful, beautiful energy. Well said, Simon. Honor to have you on Bulletproof Radio. You're always welcome back if you have something Thank new you. that you just have to share. In the meantime. If you guys are looking for more podcasts to listen to, it's a new podcast. It's a noteworthy podcast, and it's by a guy who really knows his shit. So, there, I just got the expletive word on this thing. There you go. Darn it. Anyhow, uh, listen to uh, Simon's new show because it's worth it. Have a great day.
0: A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.